This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. Brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. For the hundredth time, I am joined by Nicholas J. Horwat. Horwat, buddy, I know it was a rough game this, or last night, I guess it would be, but we're still hyped because it's the hundredth episode. We're still hyped because NHL hockey is back and in action. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing good. It's the hundredth episode of this. It, we apologize now. It couldn't come under better circumstances. But at the same time, I mean, we got a lot of notes to cover here. It's the first game. Let's all chill, shall we? It's game <laughs> one without a preseason. John Marino has already said it. We're literally recording this af- half an hour after the game ended. John Marino has already said, it's the first game. We learn and move on. Thank you for the easing words, John Marino. And, yeah, hopefully we have some easing, some easing words for you as well because – this, there's not too much to get angry at yet. There's a couple things, don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know what? It might be a short season. It's still kind of a long one, at least. So, uh, we'll get into it, right? Yeah, and that's definitely what the goal is, is to talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins matchup against the Philadelphia Flyers on Wednesday night. Of course, a 6-3 to defeat at the hands of our cross-state rivals. But, I mean, it is the first game of the season, as John Marino said, and as you stated there. It's also the first game of a season where they didn't have any preseason games. So this is basically what we would have seen out of a first preseason game. Now, it is more important, and it is not an excuse for the Pittsburgh Penguins whatsoever, but we mentioned it on Monday. We're going to see choppy play. We're going to see turnovers, bad decision-making, bad puck handling. That was evident from both sides, and... Unfortunately for Pittsburgh, Philadelphia just took advantage of that more than Pittsburgh could, and that's why the score ended up so lopsided in the third is because Philly was ready to go deeper into the game than Pittsburgh was at that point. But let's go over a quick synopsis and quick overview of the game before we get into more discussion details in that. The Penguins, of course, lost by a score of 6-3. to The six goals for Philadelphia were from James Van Riemsdyk, Nolan Patrick, Joel Farabee, Michael Roffel, Travis Konechny, and Kevin Hayes. So spreading the wealth around a whole lot over on the Philly side of the puck. Uh, Farabee <laughs> had himself a great night. Four-point night for the kid. And, I mean, you mentioned it on Monday when we were talking to the folks over at the Three Pigeons podcast. You said... Joel Farabee, who is this guy? I said well, word I for feel word. Like we who have is a pretty good guy? idea now. Yeah, I said word for word. Who is this guy? And uh, well, I learned today. I'll say that, and I will always admit to uh, if I learn things that I was taught something tonight. You were taught that Joel Farabee is a lot more than a Mark Donk. He's a lot more than that. He's also a lot more than just a name I don't recognize. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think even they were kind of like, yeah, we're not too sure either. I mean, it's only his second season, apparently. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I mean, even they were like, you know, we're not too sure exactly either. Uh, he's going into his sophomore season, but obviously he's proving to be one of their top players for the time being, at least. I mean, who knows going forward what he turns out to be, but uh, someone to keep an eye on going forward. We play them again Friday, and 
Uh, and six more times after that. Yep, and dear God, get gritty off my screen each time. Please. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely probably get into gritty and his go-go dancing during the inaugural game of the 2020-21 season. But on the Pittsburgh side of things, Mark Jankowski opened up the scoring for the entire game about five minutes in, already looking like at least one game in. Looks like a pretty smart signing for Jim Rutherford, of course, his first goal, assisted by Jared McCann on what was a beautiful pass across the crease where Jankowski was able to out-muscle and put it top cheddar where Mama hides the cookies. Sidney Crosby then scored a goal in the second period. That tied the game at two for the time being. Crosby doing Crosby things, hand-eye coordination, and definitely showing off his chipping game there. Chipping it over top of the Philly defenseman's stick and into the open net. That is his first of the season, of course, unassisted. And then Brandon Tanev was able to tie it up early in the third period to make it 3-3 three to three with an absolutely beautiful snipe assisted by none other than Mark Jankowski, who had a two-point night in his first game in black and gold. But as, as those are the goals, and once Brandon Tanev tied it at three with a, a good shot, and it seemed like the Pittsburgh Penguins were primed to take the lead for the first time since being up one to nothing. It all went downhill from there. In a span of about six minutes, they gave up three goals. Of course, the raffle, Konechny, and Hayes goals, and that was the end of it. By that point, there was about eight minutes left in the game. They were down six to three. It did not seem like they had it in them to score three more goals, especially on Carter Hart, who, after giving up that goal to Sidney Crosby, was very stout. The only goal that he gave up since then was the Tanev one, and that was a perfectly placed shot. So Carter Hart, after the absolutely horrendous mistake giving the puck to Sidney Crosby in front of the net. He was pretty stout and you knew it wasn't going to get beat, but let's get into some discussion about this game. I mean, before we get into the actual game, what did you think about the referee's speech at the beginning of puck drop? Uh, I didn't see it coming. I don't think either center saw it coming either because they were, no. they were both like, what's happening? Crosby and <laughs> Couturier were both just, I think they both had a glance at each other. Like, are you kidding me? I'm thinking, like, the first five seconds, I'm like, okay, yeah. And then he just kept going. It was um, Kelly Sutherland just kept going, and even to the point where I'm like, all right, Sid's got to be getting pissed. You're messing with his mojo and his rhythm here. You know? Like, this is yes. – <laughs> it was interesting. It was – I'm not going to say unnecessary, but I think everyone was like, what was that? What was that? <laughs> is it like maybe just because – At the very least. Yeah, I mean, was it just because – wasn't like the banner raising game that Tampa had. It was just, hey, we're the first game. Uh, everyone's everyone should be watching this one. Uh, let's just get a little note in, like the like there wasn't already a giant big old uh, presentation for healthcare workers from the Flyers beforehand. I don't know. I felt it was weird. I'm not gonna say it was unnecessary. I just felt it was weird and definitely unplanned. So. There's a, not a chance in hell that it was planned because both Sidney Crosby and Couturier, as you mentioned, went in for the faceoff. He blew the whistle, as in Sutherland, and then backed off and said, you know what? Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> We're going to intro the NHL season with me, the NHL's most interesting man, Kelly Sutherland, in a game where Wes McCauley was also a It couldn't even be Wes. <laughs> I, I, it couldn't be Steve Dangle's favorite, Wes McCauley. I, I mean... No, I mean, it, I have nothing against it. I thought yeah. it was it was different, it was unique, and it was nice of him to do that, and he definitely did it on his own volition from what it seemed, but it, it was a little little weird and a little different. And speaking of a little weird and a little different, I also wanted to mention Doc Emmerich not on the NBC call, and, and he's not going to be on the NBC call forever, 
now. I mean, he might step in for, you know, like a celeb shot every once in a while. But for the most part, Doc Emmerich is retired. We knew this coming into the season, but it's still strange, isn't it? I mean, not ever, like, knowing that you're not ever going to hear Doc Emmerich call a game again. Uh, Yeah, that's weird. But, I mean, at the same at the same time, I'm hearing Kenny Albert for the 80,000th time this year because he does football every friggin' Sunday. So it, it didn't seem too much out of place. It's just I think Kenny Albert has more of a voice for hockey than football. I mean, yeah, he's done pretty pretty well for the NFL games. But, uh, you know, I will still stand by and not defend myself, but always acknowledge that I didn't like Doc Emmerich at one point because, I don't know, I was an angsty teenager. <laughs> but I now recognize kind of the legend and historical status of um, Doc Emmerich so yeah it's going to be weird without him it's going to be different but Kenny Albert's a voice to get used to he's not terrible I enjoy him uh, but one thing that will forever and always be there is Pierre am I right <laughs> Pierre was was having some struggles oh, too man. he messed a couple of his facts up today hey it's the first <laughs> game for everybody gotta let him get into his mojo before he, he stops with those stumbles but let's get into the actual game and, and the actual game play and what we saw from the Pittsburgh Penguins there on opening night before we get too deep into specifics who or what surprised you about the penguins when you first saw them on the ice in that first period or even in the entire game what surprised you about their approach i'm gonna go with the whole game right in the first period because i knew the first period was going to be very weird and different because it's the first period back um mm -hmm. i just want to know what the hell happened to the speed and urgency that we were touting all off season that we were saying hey we're getting younger we're getting faster we're going to play with a little more urgency none of that happened in the second and third period, it seemed. Don't get me wrong, the second period was better than the third. Just the third was just a gong show. Um, and I really tried to keep you know, my cool about myself all game, realizing it is just game one. We didn't have a preseason. We had, two, like, two weeks ago, we were having discussions of, hey, training camps oh, hasn't started yet. So I was giving a lot of benefit of the doubt for game one. But at the same time, things got to roll, man. Things got to get rolling quickly, and I'm sure they will. Uh, give Jari a little bit of patience and I think we'll be okay I think another big shock for me at least was just how Mike Matheson was being very highly touted by uh, Jim Rutherford specifically and boy oh boy you can take it from there he had a rough night, and I don't want to jump on Mike Matheson too much and I'm not going to jump on Cody Cece too much either Cody Cece played fine because he played fine. His first, you know, the first big thing that he did was take a penalty that led to the very first goal that the Penguins allowed this year. So that that wasn't a good start, but he he stayed unnoticed yep. other than that. And that's so what he's supposed to do. not awful, not great. I think on one of the third period goals, he also, instead of covering a man, ran into his own goalie. So that, that's the stuff that Cody Cece is going to do because he's Cody Cece. And you just hope that he minimizes that moving forward. And same with Mike Matheson. It's going to be a learning curve for him in the first mm -hmm. place. And then we'll see if he can pick it up and pick up Todd Reardon's system. And speaking of that, that's one of the things that surprised me. How aggressive the Penguins' defense was yeah. during the entire game from the outset. There have been Penguins defensemen that have been aggressive in the past. Chris Letang springs to mind basically his entire career. But it was on another level considering it was literally all six defensemen that were activating very quickly pinching almost every occasion that there's an opportunity to pinch and that seems like Reardon kind of at least at the beginning of the season has said listen I'm taking part of your discretion away 
80-20. 80% of the time you're going to go in and take it. 20% of the time you're going to retreat. And if you're not, you're going to sit. And that's what it seemed like he was doing in this first game, at least. Trying to get the Pittsburgh Penguins defense to be more active in the offensive zone. And it, it helped in the first period. It definitely helped in the second period when the Penguins definitely played their best out of all three periods. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And it, and it died down in the third and they got caught. And that's what's going to happen if you get too aggressive. And the other thing that surprised me was that third line. When I was watching the last inter-squad scrimmage earlier this week, I said, you know what? The, the McCann, Jankowski, Tanev line. That seems like that could be a very good line. A and the unknown was Jankowski. He went out and put up two points. Jared McCann had a very solid game. Like I said, that first assist was absolutely beautiful. And Brandon Tanev with probably his, his best goal as a Pittsburgh Penguin with a beautiful snipe. And that line you mentioned in the third period the penguins speed was not there the penguins urgency was not there but i still felt like on that thir that third line showed it someone and that's yeah go ahead someone's usually always showing it no matter what someone usually is there's always at least one or two people or a whole line that are always at least giving it this this line was giving it i mean i didn't realize this i kind of forgot it that tanev and jankowski played four years together in providence college they were roommates. That's that's huge. I kn we should have been talking about that from the get-go of the signing of Jankowski. We kind of forgot he was on the team until training camp started. Whenever, <laughs> like, let's be honest, that's a bigger story than you really think of. Those two have a chemistry already, so you're inputting you know, them together, and it completely diminishes the whole question of, is Tanev good, good enough to be on the third line? Because, yes, he is. He's playing with someone he has a ton of experience with and a ton of friendship with. So that's going to be fun. And you add McCann in there, who played decent, for what it's worth, for for now, for game one. Listen, big assist and drew a penalty early in the second period that ended up leading to the Crosby goal. So other than that, that's that's really what you want to see from him. I thought he played a pretty good game. More than more so than he did in the last 22 games of last season. Yeah, and granted, you, you know, people were knocking on McCann for not taking a body on that last – on that – fifth fourth goal whichever one you just mentioned cc crashing into the goalie as well uh because mccann just kind of skated in and started pointing at people okay fair but at the same time no one played defense today no one there were, and you mentioned the defense it's uh, to me it seems like there was a ton of two-on-ones going the other direction Twi that's a byproduct of, of how aggressive they were playing though today. yeah and twice tw uh twice it was cody cc is the one and that's scary <laughs> But I think I think on both those times it wasn't a goal, but nonetheless you don't want to see two on ones going the other way because more often than not, that's in the back of your net. And you say you don't want to see Cody Cece back there. I think that's more of a kind of a bad mark or, or an X on Marcus Pedersen because when it comes to defenseman pinching, we know Marcus Pedersen is probably the slowest of the the Penguins defensemen. So he's got caught a couple times tonight. So he's going to have to be careful, especially if Reardon wants them to continue to play this aggressive style where they're pinching 80-20, like I said, is what it, it kind of seemed like. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me from the Penguins pinching perspective, but it had to have been close to 80-20, especially in the first two periods. And if CeCe's back, yeah, that's his job. But at the same time, that's a tough position to be put in time after time. And that's a tough position for Tristan Jari. And let's get into him a little bit. He made a great save on a breakaway, and then there was a rebound shot, and he made a save. I thought he made some pretty pretty good saves. He made the easy saves, and then I also think he, he struggled at some points. And I think that 
you know, it's the first game of the season. We've seen it before. We saw it with Matt Murray a couple seasons ago where they won in a game. I think it was 7-6 to six at the end. But in that game, Matt Murray gave up three goals and four shots against the Capitals in, in the first period. We were at that game. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's the first game of the season. You can't really, you know, make a lot of decisions or, or opinions based on the first game. It, it's right. tough. And you can't hold people to the to what you saw in the, them do in the first game. So, as far as Tristan Jari is concerned, no, it was not a good start. It, it definitely wasn't. But, hey, they have another game on Friday. I would expect him to be right back in the net. I don't know if you feel any differently. But I would expect Tristan Jari to be back in the net on Friday against the Flyers. I would expect it, too, because it's the same team. Um, he's aware of the team now. You don't want to start two goalies fresh against the same team because it, it just because, in, in my head at least, that doesn't make sense because, like I mentioned, Jari is now aware of the team, of how the Flyers are playing and how they're going to be coming at him. No reason in just throwing in a goalie dry in there in Casey DeSmith. I'd say Casey DeSmith gets to start. I mean, you don't want to, but uh, uh, Sunday afternoon against Washington? I mean, who knows? See, I mean, you gotta. I get, would even get, push him back to the, the fourth game of the season. Yeah, I mean, but then I'm speaking from the same reason of uh, – of why not Friday because it's the same team again. I don't know. I feel weird about it. I, you want to get Casey acclimated quickly so he's kind of ready for you know gameplay, but you don't want to throw off a mojo. You don't want to feed him to the wolves of you know a team. You want the, your best opportunity to win. And if Jari is when it comes to next game Friday. If Jari's already aware of the Flyers and their system and how they're going to be playing, you go with the same guy, at least for now. And then, you know, honestly, if Jari plays the first four, I see no issue. That's just me, though. Because we don't have a back-to-back this month, at least. Either way, you split it. It's a murderer's row of games from Game 1 to Game 56. So you're not going to get a favorable matchup for Casey DeSmith. It's just a matter of when you want to start him. But I feel like game one against the Capitals, your home opener, you're going to want to start, even though there's no fans, you're going to want to start your starter mm-hmm. and you're going to want to start Casey, De- or not Casey DeSmith, Tristan Jari, because it's also an NBC game at noon. So I don't know if that factors into Mike Sullivan. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Mike Sullivan doesn't care. But it's your home opener. You're going to want to put your best foot forward and that's going to end up being Tristan Jari. I think Casey DeSmith gets a start in that second game against the Capitals and that's fine. That's but fine, yeah. from what I saw from Jari today, he still is active as ever on the puck whenever it comes into the zone. There was one point where he, he passed the puck up, but it went to a flyer. I'm not sure what that was all about. If he missed a pass, if somebody zigged when they should have zagged out in the neutral zone that we didn't see off camera, but he was handling the puck as well as he ever has. He looked confident in the net. It's just, you know, there were a little bit of extra holes. He doesn't really quite have that squeeze just yet. So be patient with him. I think he'll get there obviously because he is our number one goalie. And I, you know, he was top 10 last year in save percentage and goals allowed average. Yeah. One bad game should not make you lose confidence in him, especially, you know, I, there's a certain Twitter handle that got on him and already started saying he wanted Matt Murray back. And listen, the past is in the past. Let Matt Murray go. Let Marc-Andre Fleury go. Let every, let Johan Hedberg go. Aww. Let Tom Barrasso go. Let Frankie Peter in. Let Jim Rutherford, the goaltender go. Like, let's just focus on the fact that we have, Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. Who cares who we used to have? It's over. They're gone. They're If they come back, they come back. But that's not 
probably going to happen. How often do you see a goalie get traded back to their initial team if they're especially a starter? So forget that. Grade Jari based on his performance and his performance alone, not who his predecessor was, and move on. Is it wrong of me to say I'm going to be in that account's kitchen all, all season? It's not wrong of you to say because I fully expected it. <laughs> Hell yes. Someone's <laughs> got to be the heel on this podcast, okay? It's usually I you. I be the heel from time to time, but, you It's know. usually you. I'm usually the level-headed one, especially when it comes to shit like this, but <laughs> when it comes to certain people, yeah, it, oh. We have, of course, it, it is our 100th episode, which we're very excited for, and thank you to the Hockey Podcast Network for housing all 100 episodes of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I think this is a perfect time. If you're just getting into it, just go back and start at episode one. Binge. Binge right through our 100 episodes of content. It's probably over 100 hours, I would at assume, least. at this point. But we're going to continue talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins opener against the Philadelphia Flyers for a little bit. But, of course, we're also going to end this show with our shout-outs and call-out segment. Of course, that is also going to be following. I don't even think we mentioned it. I think we skipped right past the fact that we have a very special guest today. That is Penguins, former Penguins play-by-play announcer Paul Steigerwald. He joined us for about 25 minutes talking about his time with the Pittsburgh Penguins, his time with Yarmir Yager, his opinions on superstars in the league right now, being on the movie Sudden Death. So we'll talk to Paul Steigerwald about all of that. That's coming up in a few minutes. But let's finish off talking about the Penns Flyers game one on January 13th. What did you think the biggest issue was with the Pittsburgh Penguins that you saw? For now, just urgency. Um, I mean... That's the only thing, because you can come into a game cold and still play a little urgent. Um, I get if passes aren't going to connect, connect immediately. I get if Jari's going to miss some goals immediately. I get that that might not all flow right away in game one, but no matter what, you can at least look like you're playing with some, you know, some sense of want in this game and urgency. It just didn't seem like we had that today, I mean... That's it. I mean, it may, it honestly, playing with urgency may have made it look worse. We may have given up a little bit more, but at least you would have looked like you were trying. Some things just felt off this entire game, but it's game one, no preseason, short uh, training camp. I'm not going to fault them too much. Yeah, it's a shortened season, but hey, it's game one. We're, we weren't going to go 56-0, and and hey, if anybody remembers 2015-16, we lost the first three and went on to win the cup so not all hope is lost yet um and i just and just philadelphia's love for gritty it's beyond me man i i don't know what it is with philadelphia and their uh fictional sports characters that they love i mean gritty rocky the process it's all fake but you believe and love it anyway um it's brutal down there in philadelphia i can i could add to it if i wanted to like carson wetz uh but hey I'll stop there. <laughs> Man, taking shots at the Philadelphia 76ers and really all of Philadelphia sports. Get used to it, Philly. You got eight games of this. Well, only seven more, and they did win the first one, so I'm sure they have bragging rights yeah, for right now. now. But, yeah, uh, you know what? The NHL is leaning into the, the gritty sensation, and that's fine. Good for them. Uh, it's very good marketing on Philadelphia Flyers' point standpoint. They haven't had a mascot for, what, they didn't have one for 50 years. And then they got one all of a sudden. He's the quote-unquote best mascot in the NHL. I don't think that's the truth, but I digress on that point. Uh, One thing that I noticed, or I guess there's two things that I noticed about the Pittsburgh Penguins that kind of worried me a little bit. For one, the penalty kill was absolutely awful. And Mike Vellucci is in charge of that. So his first game at the helm in charge of the penalty kill. 
not only did they give up two goals on their first two kills, the two goals were set up the exact same way. So it's not a good look, especially whenever you have that kind of deja vu feeling of, okay, Farabee on the far boards, up to Gustafson, he shoots it, someone tips it, it goes in. It should not be that easy, and it was for the Philadelphia Flyers in the first period, and that's what gave them a 2-1 to lead, and that's what kind of stunted the momentum that the Pittsburgh Penguins had going at that point. So that's one thing they need to fix. They did get a kill later in the game, but at that point, it, it was big. It led to the Penguins tying the game, but it was in the third period, and we all know how the third period ended up, and it was not a plus for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The other thing I noticed was late in the period, both at the end of the first period and the end of the second period, the Penguins did not play to the horn, and that cost them. In the first period, it cost them a 1-1 tie. It made it 2-1 going into the intermission, and in the second period, it made it 3-2 going into the third period. If you wouldn't have given up that goal, you would have been up 3-2 with Tanev's goal, and you it would have been a lot different of a story because the, both teams would have been playing completely different. I noticed it a little bit in the at the end of the first period. But I've really noticed it at the end of the second whenever it was Crosby as the one not playing to the whistle, and I was very confused about that because it's Sidney friggin' Crosby. Um, I Yeah, what I, what was the deal with all that? That was just weird and bad. Again, could be attributed to first game. I didn't have a preseason. Could be attributed to that. There, there's still a lot more to see, but it's, you know, it's what we were noticing from the first game, and it was the fact that the Penguins did not play to the horn in the first and second period. And by the third period, by the time the last two minutes came around, it didn't matter. It, there was there was no fight left in the dog with two minutes left in that game being down 6-3. to three. So the Penguins, we'll see on Friday. That's the big thing I want to look for. And if you're watching on TV, watch for their penalty kill. See if they can you know improve, box out that Gustafson play that was very successful for Philadelphia. And also, let's see if they can play to the horn. I always say the first two in the final two minutes, and a lot of people say that, a lot of broadcasters say it, final two minutes of a period, first two minutes of a period, that is the worst time to give up a goal because it sets the tone or it you know, makes you have a sour taste in your mouth at the end of the period. So that's the one thing I noticed. Anything else that you want to bring up from this game before we head over to the Paul Steigerwald interview? Uh, no, that's all I got. Uh, we'll have... All righty. I mean, it's a long. It's, well, it's it's going to be a different season. Let's not all harp on one game. We got time to turn it around, and it's just one. If John Marino is moving on already, so are we. In John Marino, we definitely trust. And also, listen, hockey's back. That is the main storyline here. Yes, the Penguins lost the game. That sucks. But like you mentioned, weren't going to go fifty-six and zero. And hockey is back. Right now, as we're speaking, there's more hockey being played. There's going to be hockey played on every day from now for 100 days straight. So this is perfect. This is amazing. We're happy. We have our sport back. We're going to be talking a lot about actual hockey games like this. Hopefully some wins coming up here starting this Friday against the Philadelphia Flyers in the rematch in Philly. But as of right now, for episode 100 of the Tip of the Iceberg, we are going to send it over to our interview with the one, the only, Steige, Paul Steigerwald. We hope you guys enjoy. 
This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey podcast network right now we are being joined by a very special guest who began his career in my hometown of johnstown pennsylvania he covered the johnstown red wings where he and broadcast partner tim rigby would record their calls to critique later over a few drinks at brownies those critiques helped propel him to a 30 plus year run in the broadcast booth for the pittsburgh penguins where he covered legends of the game alongside broadcasting legends and eventually became a legend himself. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, Paul Steigerwald. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Johnstown, Pennsylvania, I had a good time up there. I'll tell you a story, I, I made $110 a week, uh, and I paid uh, $80 a month for a room in the house of a guy named Wilbur Layton. He was an older guy. He was probably in his late 70s, maybe 80 or something. Might have been in his 80s by the time I lived with him in his house. And he had a spare bedroom with a separate entrance. And uh, I lived in his house. And he charged me $80 a month. I spent 80 bucks a month for the room. And I made $110 a week. And I traveled with the team that year. We only uh, had one season of hockey. The Johnstown Red Wings were not a team that hung around very long. The Detroit Red Wings owned them, and we didn't make the playoffs out of the six teams in the Eastern Hockey League, and uh, so the team folded as quickly as it existed. And that was too bad because it, you know, I think there's there was some potential there, but it just uh, wasn't to be. The Red Wings were in a bad way at that time. Ted Lindsay was their general manager. He had 75 players under contract, and uh, they were way overextended on contracts, and there were some guys in Johnstown that were making some good money, 75000 bucks At that time, that was a lot of money for a player to be making uh, in the Eastern Hockey League. That's, I think that's how much Dave McQueen was making. He was a good goal scorer. He ended up being an assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I saw him many years later as a Lightning coach. But uh, just to finish the story, they uh, we just didn't make the playoffs because we had just had some bad actors on that team, some guys that, didn't want to be in, in Johnstown, thought they should be in Adirondack, the American League, or maybe even in the NHL. They were, and they were just not happy being where they were. Yeah, always growing up, I'd go to Johnstown Chiefs games, and there's still a Johnstown Red Wings logo up in the boxes. 
after your run there, you moved back to Pittsburgh where you grew up and you joined the Pittsburgh Penguins. And in 1985, you became the radio color analyst for the Pens, which started a 21-year run alongside the Hall of Famer, Mike Lang. What do you remember from that first season in 1985? Well, really what happened was a little earlier in the 80s, um, we had a uh, uh, cable concern. Uh, it was called HSE, Home Sports Entertainment. Uh, this was before the advent of Comcast. Warner Cable was the first really company that came into Pittsburgh and started to make some noise in Pittsburgh. Actually, Center Video was, was involved, and Center Video actually became ultimately Comcast. But the ones who had some clout were Warner in terms of creating their own television network. Uh, so they created a home sports entertainment, which was uh, sort of like what any regional sports network is today. It didn't last long, but uh, we were televising Penguins home games uh, back in, in the 83-84 season. And I worked with Jim Forney on some of those games. Jim Forney was a former Penguins play-by-play announcer. So I worked with him. I got the call play-by-play on a, like a period of hockey for those games. So that was my first chance to do a little play-by-play. But I was already doing color with Mike Lang uh, sporadically in 83-84. And uh, that's because Terry Schiffauer, PR director of the Penguins, had been doing color with Mike Lang. His son was a really good baseball player, and he wanted to spend more time with his son, watch him play baseball and coach him and so on. So he was tired of the road and tired of doing the TV, so he asked me if I'd want to do it. That's the way things work back then. It's not like that now, man. If you wanted that job, you didn't. You didn't just have somebody bequeath it to you. You know, you. Uh, so that's really why I was really lucky. Is I'd be in the right place at the right time, and I ended up on the air with Mike Lang. And I remember, I think eighty three, eighty four would have been my first year of doing some games with him, and uh, it was on TV, not radio. And I remember being really nervous. Uh, and and Mike Lang was, he was pretty nice to me he wasn't you know, he's professional you know he wasn't um coddling me but he wasn't making me feel intimidated either so it was kind of i just had to make sure i i did the best job i could and uh you know my brother john was on the air in pittsburgh and had done some stuff and so i and i you know i'd been on the air doing games on radio and i'd done some other things so i i, I felt like somewhat comfortable but really it was not it was not a role that I felt totally comfortable with, and I, and I tell you why. Is we, for in those days, there were other non-former players doing what I was doing, but it was like when you're in that role, you're kind of a critic. You know, you have to analyze and then you have to criticize, and you have to find that fine line between an, analysis and criticism, where you're not insulting a player because you might be wrong. I mean, your criticism or, or your opinion might be totally wrong. And, you know, the player's wife is at home watching. And so you you have to be really, really careful. And, and so I had to learn to walk that fine line of knowing what I could say and not say. And it was difficult because Mike didn't have to do that. I mean, Mike Lang was always viewed by the fans as, a, as, as the, the one shining light in a dark room, you know, uh, because uh, the Penguins were – up to that point mostly unsuccessful but he was so great people loved him so for me it was like i was working alongside an icon uh and i had to take on this new role as a guy who was going to do some analysis of hockey 
And I'm, I, here I am with a guy who I'm certain at that time, Mike felt he knew more about hockey than I did. And he probably wasn't wrong. And yet I was the one who was coming up with these opinions. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was an awkward position for me. Because I was the younger guy, the less experienced guy, but I was the guy in the role of being the expert, if you will. And uh, so I always felt inadequate in that regard. Even all the way through most of my time as color analyst, I felt that way. And I really do think that Mike never really thought that I knew more about hockey than he did. Uh, I think he knew that I was a good journalist, that I had done a lot of homework. He recognized my talent, you know, the things I was good at, which was going in the locker room, getting information, telling stories, things of that nature. But when it came to the actual analysis of the play, I don't think he felt that I necessarily knew uh, any more than he did. And he probably wasn't wrong. Uh, so it wasn't until 96. I mean, Mike said it would take five years to get good. It took me more than 10, I would say. <laughs> and in 96, we did that game in quadruple overtime when Peter Nedved scored the winning goal and watched it. If you listen to that broadcast, that was probably the best broadcast we did as a team. Uh, and I felt like I had really sort of arrived at that point in terms of being on a, on a plane where I, you could say, oh, this guy's a really good NHL color analyst. But I also never really felt comfortable in the role because I wasn't a former player. Um, you continued to call games alongside Mike Lang far past 85, obviously. And in the Penguins 50th anniversary documentary, you gave a great story about his call of uh, game one in the 92 final of the whole leaning back and his headset falling off. Um, what are some of your other favorite moments of just working with a guy like Mike Lang? The things that stand out to me most are the times when I wasn't on the air with him, um, you know, traveling. Uh, we started to become more like uh, buddies a little bit on the road when, when I realized and he realized that we had a, a, a common affinity for music. He's a big blues guy. I was a jazz guy, but I also like blues and, and I like all music and rock music and, and everything. So every now and then we'd find a cool thing to go hear, you know, some music or we'd go out and have some beers and talk, you know, about hockey and talk about life and everything. So that was an enjoyable time. I, you know, I, I had some great opportunities to, you know, listen to Mike philosophize on things. And, uh, you know, he's really smart and, and uh, he was very, um, you know, more introspective than you might think it, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed that. I, I think I enjoyed that. And, you know, he'd like to tell stories about his days in the minors and, and uh, you know, players that he encountered and fights that he saw and, you know, certain things like that. And then as our careers, you know, began to advance, I don't know if you remember, <clears throat> we changed companies a couple of times and we had different producers. And we went through some strife right after the Penguins won the cup in 92 and, or, and after we lost to the Islanders in 93, Howard Baldwin uh, turned over everything to uh, Fox sports net. It had been previously KBL and they changed it to Fox and a guy named Bill Craig was in charge of it. And they hired a guy named George Pryor, who was a buffoon and who's a, a producer type who thought that he knew everything. And he was going to tell the world how games ought to be called. And that's when they brought in Doug McLeod from Minnesota and they added him to the mix. And that's when they split TV and radio. There were no more simulcasts. And I always wanted to do play by play if they ever split it up. Cause I just, I, I just felt like the longer time went on, the more of a dinosaur I was becoming as a non-former player in the color analyst role. 
So I really want a play-by-play job. And I was really frustrated. Uh, Doug McLeod was brought in because George didn't just bring him in to do radio. He brought him in to do TV. He wanted him to unseat Mike Lang. He was going to show everybody, you know, in Pittsburgh, uh, in the world, how much better some guys are than this guy, you know. He's not the greatest hockey announcer. I'm going to show you. So he brought in Doug McLeod, who's a really nice guy and was in a really tough position. So McLeod ends up getting to do some games on TV. Mike's doing the games on the radio. I am on TV. I'm now finding myself in a role of doing color only on some of the games. Dan Saverin was brought in to do color on some games because he was working for that network. It was pretty dicey. And there was a time when Bill Craig said he wanted to bring in Don Cherry and have Don Cherry uh, on our broadcast and do the color, which was interesting. I mean, because Don Cherry's awesome. And I, you know, it just shows you how big Bill Craig thought. He thought outside the box for sure. But it was a stressful time in my life because I didn't know what, where my career was headed. You know, I'm, 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 I'm living with a woman who would all only become my wife or my future ex-wife as I look at it now. But, you know, in those days, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about the Penguins going bankrupt. And, you know, we were always under some sort of duress financially. And so uh, that was not a good time in our careers. And Mike Lang and I, you know, shared that frustration. We were both insulted. We were both, uh, you know, I would say we bonded a little bit over the fact that we were uh, going through a little adversity there from the top because change in ownership of the club and the change in control of the broadcasts that were granted by the club to Fox sports net at that time. And by the way, I haven't even talked about this stuff because nobody's really cared to ask. And it is stuff that I'm sort of cathartically telling you about right now, but you know, I really haven't had, had, had an opportunity to really go through it. There was a lady who held a sign up and I, and my mother ended up meeting her at the games because, my mother and dad went there again. It said, Mike and Paul to broadcast all. You may have seen that sign before. It's a sign that pops up every now and then in some of the highlights. And that was when there was a little bit of a controversy as to whether Mike Lang was going to be the guy. You know? I mean, who wants to re- who wants to be the guy to replace Mike Lang? I didn't. When I did, right. you know, on television, I didn't want to be that guy. And I actually remember turning to my wife uh, during that time. It was in 93, the, during all that, all that stuff. I turned her and I said, I'm telling you right now, there's no way I'm not bouncing out of this you know i was like really really like vehemently determined to show them that i was the guy that they should be giving that job to and they shouldn't be screwing around with uh, us as a team so past all that in uh in 1995 you know you and mike lang and iceberg we discussed this quite often on the show um uh made cameos in the jean-claude van damme movie sudden death what are some of the stuff things that you remember about filming or recording scenes for that movie and just how interesting was it to have a movie like that at Mellon Arena? That could have been so much better if the Penguins and the NHL weren't on strike at that time. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they ended up having to use Wheeling Nailers players in the videos to a game between the Penguins and the Blackhawks on opening night that they shot, you know, in order to use as the basis for the, for the a lot of things went wrong for Howard Baldwin and his preparation to make that movie. But, what I know is that Mike Lang really helped make that movie what it was. And they didn't pay him enough money. I think they paid us each three grand, a little bit more money to go there and do that stuff. But he should have been paid as one of the main guys in the movie and still should be getting good residuals from that. We get checks in the mail for a dollar 38. From uh, I'm not kidding. I get every now and then uh, royalties for a dollar 38 cents, things like that. 
because we were in a different kind of like we were like paid like extras you know what i mean mm-hmm. but mike had to actually call a game like we can like create a game out of nothing basically it wasn't even video it was like video on film or if you will like, like we're sitting in a mock television booth they're turning a crank of film of a hockey game get off this monitor and recreating a game and if you listen to watch the movie it's a, the thread of him calling the game goes through the entire movie he had to really work hard for them to create this game. And, and then there were, there were scenes where I had to jump in and he had to describe what was happening. So it was a lot of fun. And then we spent hours waiting, waiting to do our part. And then we did it. And then the part came where the helicopter comes down through the roof and the, the scoreboard explodes. And I said, holy shit. And, um, you know, it was holy shit. And um, Peter Himes, the director, said, holy shit works. <laughs> So then, like, we shot that scene a couple of times, but that was, like, uh, funny because then Howard Baldwin, when they showed the movie for the first time in a theater in California, he said, that, he said you are now, from now on, you are Paul. Holy shit, Steigerwald. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back into the hockey focus of it, you had the opportunity to cover both Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby. So my question is just basically how different was there emergences between Lemieux and Crosby at the beginning of their careers? Well, when Mario came along, we had never seen a great player like that ever in Pittsburgh. So um, we had some really good hockey players, but we know anybody on that level. So that was really a special time. And I felt very blessed to be uh, the marketing director of the Penguins when he came into to Pittsburgh and we needed him desperately. I mean, we were on the verge of extinction and um, you, you have no idea what it's like to work with a team that, loses like them with no fans showing up and the fans who do are miserable and uh, you know your the people you work with every day are down you know and uh, losing sucks man you know and when you're working in that business you know people lose their jobs and they, they go home with their work just like anybody else and very very difficult so Mario came along at just the right time what a ray of sunshine and more so than anybody could have ever imagined he became uh, the savior of hockey in Pittsburgh on different levels Sidney Crosby came at a time also when things were in dire straits, not just because of the Penguins' failures, but because of the, the league in general's failures, you know, with the lockout, the business model had it turned uh, to, to, it was terrible. And Penguins were victims of it, small market teams. So we got through the lockout and then we get to, to win the lottery and end up with Sidney Crosby. So we were like the Phoenix rising from the ashes again. Now, I didn't really know if Sydney would be another Mario. I was, I didn't know how great he was. I mean, I didn't know how much of it was hype. You know, I, I hadn't seen him. You know, I didn't really have a, a feel for him. You know, with Mario, his numbers his numbers were so ridiculous in the Quebec League. And he was so obviously a great player like because he was big and lanky and he had a special quality about him. And it was he was different from the other players in the league at that time, with the exception maybe of Wayne Gretzky. I mean, they were similar players in a lot of ways. Uh, so... Sydney is coming along in a completely different environment. If you beamed him into the 80s, just drop him into the 215 point player, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, so uh, we were really fortunate to not only have another one of those guys come along, but a completely different type of player than Mario. And one more fitting for the current style of play in the game at that time. Uh, more of a, I call him the king of the grinders, you know, so uh, he's a more offensive zone player a guy who uh, made a lot of plays once he was in the offensive zone on the wall he'd turn and find open guys but he could also you know 
soar up the ice. He's a 200-foot player, don't get me wrong, but it was a, just a different style that he brought to the game than Mario, and yet not equally effective, but almost. Outside of the big names, like, you know, we've mentioned Crosby and Lemieux, then there's Yager and Malkin. Outside of those, kind of the big four, if you will, um, who were some of your favorite players to interact with uh, on the team over the years? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, it was it's four of them, really. Yager, uh, you know, I remember when he was drafted uh, and he came to Pittsburgh for the first time. Um, I remember he, we were staying in the hallway uh, waiting. I'm not quite sure exactly where we were, but it was myself, Barry Smith, Penguins assistant coach, and some other folks. I think I was there in a capacity for the camera, maybe, and we were waiting uh, for Yager to be interviewed by others. I'm not quite sure what it was, but Barry Smith turned to me and he goes, look at the powertrain on that guy. You know, he's only 18 years old, but he had that big butt, you know, big legs. And when you looked at him, you just knew he was built to play the game of hockey. And, uh, you know, he, he couldn't speak English at all. His mother was there. And then, you know, we, we ended up going shopping. I took him shopping at Ross Park Mall uh, and got to know him a little bit. And his mom, too, really early in his days in Pittsburgh. But he talked that well when he first started with the Penguins. Rick Keogh taught him how to shoot a, a wrist shot. Uh, he, he could score goals. He liked to shoot on the backhand. He could deke goalies, that kind of thing. He could, he could have, but he was more of a sweeping motion. You know, he didn't have that snap in his shot like he ended up developing. Rick Keogh really helped him with that. So that first rookie year for him, he was – struggled a little bit in the first half of the year and he wanted to go home and et cetera. But, and then of course the second year, he just, as you saw in the playoffs, he too, he's really blossomed. And uh, by the time the Penguins won the cup in Chicago in 92, he was showing signs of becoming uh, another one of those transcendent hockey players. And I think he's the greatest European player of all time. I think he's up there with Mario and Gretzky and Gordy Howe and Bobby Orr. People in hockey guys throw the word superstar around way too much. Like, I hear it all the time on podcasts. Oh, hey, he's a superstar. And then you have these superstars that, no, no, there's only like six or seven of them, okay? We've had at least three of them in Pittsburgh. I, I don't know if it have Denny Malkin in the superstar category, but he's pretty darn close, okay? The reason I think he isn't is because he's kind of played in the shadow of Sidney Crosby. Maybe if he had gone to his own team, he would have been looked at as a more transcendent player because he would have been the franchise player for that team. But it didn't turn out that way in Pittsburgh. You know, but Yarmir Yager uh, was able to gain his own mantle in Pittsburgh after Mario retired, and he won all those scoring championships. To me, uh, it's, you know, the greatest players are Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, but also <laughs> now you see Yarmir Yager is in that category, Sidney Crosby, and, and now Connor McDavid, I think, is probably the next one, you know, who I would put in that category as somebody who's above and beyond everybody else. And there's only their generational players. But they're more than generational. They're transcendent. They 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 become the attraction. Uh, they capture the imagination of the, the, the city's fans. And they end up doing great things because they're so great that they take their team, which is what Mario did, which is what, did, which is what Sidney Crosby did, which is what Gordie Howe did, uh, which was what Wayne Gretzky did, right? That's how I look at it. Yeah, that's definitely a conversation that gets brought up a lot these days. And the big thing about that entire conversation is the fact that it happens so frequently especially now without the the lack of games that's something that gets brought up all the time but i, I want to close it out with with one final question we want to thank you for your time here paul opening night in 2018 comes up penguins raise their fifth stanley cup banner the game begins puck drops and for the first time since the early 80s 
you're not really going to be behind the mic pretty much unless you're stepping in for somebody you've kind of given up the mic so what was that game for like for you and how much do you miss being there on a day-to-day basis to call the games it wasn't easy i i kind of saw it coming um so i didn't make a big stink about it i you know you can kind of tell read the tea leaves in the business i'm in um so i knew when my three-year contract was up that that was probably my last contract so i realized that steve mears was a guy that the penguins were into when, when he was doing uh intermission appearances for the penguins on fox i i told one day i turned to bob air i said that guy my job in the next couple of years and uh that way i said i'm telling you i can tell right now i know how tv guys think and he's got great pipes uh he knows hockey he's from pittsburgh and he's gonna be he's gonna be the next next guy and i was right especially when he got the chance to go to new york and then prove that he was a talent and he won games for the on the world junior championships and so it was it was pretty obvious he was the, the heir apparent so I kind of accepted my fate and moved on. But, you know, it wasn't easy. I, I didn't want to – I didn't think I was finished yet in terms of my ability to be doing games. But it wasn't easy for me, and it's still not easy for me. I, You know, it's a it's a creative endeavor. It's something I wanted to do since I was 15 years old. Uh, I was able to live my dream, so I count my blessings. Uh, the Penguins kept me on and gave me another role and continue to pay me. So I'm grateful for that. So, you, you know, I had some experiences. I traveled the world, and uh, and now I'm I got a different role, and – and uh, all we can hope for now, guys, after this this pandemic, is that we can get back to some some semblance of normalcy. What I fear for the guys like Steve Mears and Josh Getzoff and the guys who are going to be doing my job uh, that I was doing uh, going forward is that they're never going to really fully experience it the way I did. I don't think guys will travel as much, if at all. Wouldn't surprise me if they do solely remote broadcasts uh, for road games. I wouldn't feel at all surprised if you never see the travel again, uh, just because they've learned that they can call the games off the screen. They can save a tremendous amount of money in travel and uh, no one knows the difference. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. And that's sad because they won't yeah. get to go on the road and hang out the night before and have dinner and talk hockey and do all the fun things I got to do. And then get up in the morning, go to the morning at the rink and get a real feel for things. You know, that's what makes it a great job. It's not just calling the games. It's the whole feeling of being a part of the, the process, you know, you're there at the morning skate. You know, you're on the team bus. You're running from the hotel of the game. You look at the players getting on the bus. You see the intensity of, the, you know, how they're preparing mentally. And you could feel the intensity of, or the importance of a significant game, you know, it, before you ever get to the rink. You, you know it. And those are the things that, that get your juices going. So when they drop that puck, you know, and you're not just observing it. You're part of it. And believe me, it's an unbelievable experience. Whenever I started this off, I, I called you a legend, and I, I know you said superstar is overused, but I only use the term legend very sparingly. And I truly believe that you and Mike Lang, you were the voices of my childhood. You're the reason that I, I went into the field that I'm going into and that I'm into, and you're the reason that I continue to sit here and, and talk hockey and, and get the opportunity to speak to guys like you. So thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you giving us your time. And good luck to you wherever the future leads. And let's hope the Penguins have a great season this year. Yeah, I think it's time we get back to some hockey and uh, looking forward to it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. So you like hockey? Congratulations. You're amongst the smartest sports fans in the world. Want to fight about it? Join me, the Hockey Troll, and that snack, Polly Cupcakes, every Monday and Thursday on the official Caps Chirp podcast, repping the greatest team in the NHL, your Washington Capitals.
Not only do we bring you the best Washington Capitals coverage, but we've got the hottest takes and the tastiest content. Tune in wherever you get your podcast and at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Chirp us on all social media platforms at Caps Chirp. See you beauties and vendors there. Ooh, welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, episode 100. That's right, we have hit the century mark for the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you to everybody that has tuned in these past 100 episodes. Thank you to everybody that has followed along on social media, has liked literally any one of our tweets, Instagram posts, Facebook posts. If you've listened to one second of our show, we are eternally grateful. We thank everybody that talks to us everybody that listens to us and we are excited to move on and get to 200 here in the next year, but we're moving on to shout outs and call outs. Oh, also we hope you enjoyed that interview with Paul Steigerwald. It was great to talk to him. It was a fantastic, fantastic interview. We wish we could have talked to him a little bit longer. We also wish that our internet would have behaved, but that is the world we live in right now doing everything over zoom or as we do it over Streamyard. but it was a great interview. Great to talk to Steige, and we hope to get more interviews out to you guys like that in the future. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, it wasn't my first interaction with Paul Steigerwald that it's, or at least like in a weird situation. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people have interacted with, with him before, but whenever I'll just tell the story to the listeners. But when Berlansky texted me saying he got Paul Steigerwald um, for an interview, I'm thinking this will be fun. Should I bring up the time our paths crossed at my former job at stage AE and that Berlansky was at the same show at, and I ended up not doing it because I didn't want to, you know, I don't know. It was just, it just felt like a weird spot, but it's interesting that at stage AE I was doing VIP section seating and it was the struts. I called them the strokes on accident last time. I never was telling Berlansky about this, but it was the struts show and I just doing my job and this couple comes up to me, you know, asking where their seat is. I take the ticket as I'm trying to put like the little stagey, like sticky wristbands on Paul Steigerwald. I already realized who it was, but I wasn't going to be like, Hey, you're Paul Steigerwald. Nice to meet you. This, that, the other. I wasn't doing all that. I was just doing my job. He tries to make a shitty dad joke <laughs> that I <laughs> just kind of giggle at and go, Oh, I, you're better than me and everything. So I'm just going to laugh nod show you to your seat and walk away and that's what i did smile and wave boys smile and wave yeah, but it was a uh yeah so that was the first time our paths had crossed and hopefully you know maybe maybe i get to interact with him more in a career thing i don't know future's hopeful but yeah it was a fun interview great time and i'm so glad i got some uh sudden i got a sudden death question in there i know you you were chomping at the bit to get that question in and i'm glad you did as well because it, it sparked a great yeah. story i i love the the holy shit that that was just that was amazing but let's get to our shout outs and call outs to close out our 100th episode let's start with call outs Horwat. who are you calling out this week i had uh hinted at it um last episode and i got his name wrong i think i called him mike mostly because yes. his last name is matheson so fresh on the brain um but it was jim matheson who writes for edmonton i don't know exactly what for edmonton but if people already know where i'm going with this it's because uh, Jim Matheson was mad that, or was upset, and he, I guess he had said it many times that Jesse Pugliarvi wore the number 98 in a town where 99 was made popular. Um, I made the quote tweet and said 98 and 99 are two different numbers, Jimbo. Um, but that being said, I, he was he 
had arguments that made no sense on top of that. All of this 99 is so respected and so popular because of this town that it's disrespectful for someone to wear 98. That makes no sense. We're from Pittsburgh where what's the most famous number to come from Pittsburgh? 21? Either 21 or 60. Yeah, it's 21 because it's retired by two teams. And yeah. So do you think it's disrespectful that Andrew McCutcheon wore 22? Uh, friend of the show, Jesse Marshall, uh, said uh, Ron Hainsey won a cup with or 65. Won a cup with in number 65, and then went on to say Alex Goligoski wore 67. Um, there were some funny arguments to just absolutely tear Jim Matheson a new one because he deserved it. If it's not the number 99, it's a different number, and it doesn't matter. That's all there is to it. I feel like I had more to it, but it, that was just such a dumb argument. And where do you draw the line, Mr. Matheson? Like, is 97 by Connor McDavid, is that a farce, too? Is that offensive to your your hockey religion as well? Like, where, where do we draw the line? Maybe maybe nobody should wear anything in the 90s in Edmonton, and nobody in, in Pittsburgh wear anything in the 60s. You know what? Actually, nothing from 50 up in Edmonton. Let's just be <laughs> safe. Let's protect the sanctity of the 99. Nobody is allowed to wear any number from 50 to 99. You know what? You can actually wear a hundred now. We'll let you wear a hundred, but ninety-nine. That's actually you no. Know, that's too close. One hundred one and up. Is, that's yeah. it. Um, just seeing that argument though was mind-boggling to me. And someone gave the gave the rebuttal like it's the year he's born in. Like that's what Crosby yeah. does. I mean, it's his birth, birth, entire birth date. But it's the year he's born in. If he wants to wear it, let him wear it. It's also a number. He went into. He knows it's his birth year. Three other players have worn ninety-eight before. Like. He may, mentioned them by name and Sergachev, Pulyarvi, and I forget the last one. Mm-hmm. But who, again, who cares? Really, I get, I get numbers are, especially in hockey, they're very sacred, they're very personal. But if it's not the number, I mean, who cares? I think we were both saying what Josh Hosang was wearing sixty six for a different team, mind you. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who the hell cares? I'm all for, like, wanting a certain number, but, God, who cares? Who cares? I, I can't say – I couldn't have said it by myself. Who really cares? It, at the end of the day, it is a number, and it matters at the highest level. It matters at the Crosby level. It matters at the, the, the Gretzky level, yes. Colton Sevier is number seven. Matt Cullen was number seven. I think this is offensive, but let's <laughs> – you could go down a rabbit hole all day with all of that, but let's move on really quickly because we are running out of time here. My call out Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> getting the call out one last time this year because the season is over. They lose in the playoffs too. And I can't believe I ever, I never would have imagined I'd ever have to say this. The Pittsburgh Steelers lost in the playoffs to the Cleveland Browns by a score of 48 to 37. And let's not get this twisted. It was not that close. It, it was not that close. I don't care what happened in the second half. They did not come to show up and play in the first half. They went down 28 to nothing to the Cleveland Browns. It, it was over, honestly, from the first play. When that first play happened, it was shades of Super Bowl 48. Broncos and Seahawks. Snap goes over Peyton Manning's head. But the thing is, the Broncos recovered that. We're only down 2 to nothing, and it was less damaging than just watching the ball and letting Cleveland land on it. Then after that, of course, it became shades of... The uh, divisional game in 2018 where Ben Roethlisberger just played awful then tried to be a hero in the second half and still ended up even on his interception to touchdown ratio at four apiece. Not good. Not good at all. And, and then also just 
another call out. If you're going to say something like, man, the Browns is the Browns, Woo! you better say that after you beat them and not before you play them when they embarrass you. And that, of course, is Juju Smith-Schuster, who is one of my favorite Steelers. But if you're going to get cocky like that, back it up. And it's not that Juju didn't have a good game because he did in the second half. In garbage time. When it didn't matter. You were down, what, 35 to 10 at halftime? That game was over. I went to bed. That is the first time I have not watched a full Steelers playoff game since I can remember watching playoff games. It got the halftime. Yes, I did have stuff to do in the morning, so I wasn't staying up to watch them, you know, finish their season, get shit on. I went to bed, woke up. Oh, they made it close. I don't really care because they played so bad in the first half. They could have won that game. I would have still been despised. Like, it was bad. And now the big question going forward is what do you do with Ben? You know, he was 47 of 68 for 501 yards, four touchdowns and four interceptions in that game. The man's 38 years old, has a surgically reconstructed throwing arm. He's due $41 million next year. And let's not forget the fact that you have a lot of free agents you need to sign. Bud Dupree, yeah, he is coming off the torn ACL, but he's still going to command some money. James Conner, Juju, some other players. Of course, Marquise Pouncey retired. And I mean, after that snap in the first quarter, that makes about, about as much sense as you can imagine. So, uh, the Pouncey thing is not actually been fully confirmed, I think, but hasn't it? I don't know. I I've yeah. What's his name wrote that wrote that story up. And then everyone at the fan was like, this is not fully confirmed at all, but Oh, okay. Well, but, hey, it's very—it's still very well possible. I mean, the conversation him and Ben had on the bench after the game was sad and heart-wrenching to me who hasn't – I mean, I cared about football this year, but who in recent history really did not care about Steelers football. If you would have told the childhood me, fifth grade, sixth grade me, that the Steelers are one day – would have started the season 11-0 and and lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Cleveland Browns, I think I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> but here we are and i like how you mentioned do your talking after the game guess what chase claypool did and it's still not a good look whenever he said i mean it, it may have hurt that it was within 24 hours of the loss and he was on the exact app that got juju messed up for a while yeah uh saying quote the the browns are going to get collapsed next week anyway oof you that's something you don't say when you just got clapped under 24 hours ago at home at home okay against a divisional opponent when you won the division. when you were 11 and the Steelers were happy and the Steelers were bragging and Steelers fans and I was too I was like you know what we won the AFC North we came in over the Browns we came in over the Ravens the Ravens we were calling them trash because we were 2-0 against the Ravens this year well guess what both of those teams are playing on divisional weekend and the Pittsburgh Steelers are at home they're hitting the links Browns so Browns writers were even saying that there was no way to win this game. The The question on, on talk radio all week wasn't how the Steelers were going to win. It was uh, how many are they going to win by? That's That was the question all week. But again, that's why we play the games. Exactly. So Pittsburgh, Steelers, back to the drawing board. Penguins, not necessarily back to the drawing board just yet. They're 0-1, but at least we don't have to worry about them going 11-0 and then collapsing. Shoutouts, Horat. Who are you shouting out this week? Keeping it in the realm of football, I'm going to shout out whoever signed off on Nickelodeon hosting a hosting a football game, <laughs> hosting a playoff game. That was awesome, honestly. Aside from the commentary being a little, it was aimed toward children, clearly. 
because it was a lot of explaining what the sport is, explaining what each play is. Don't get me if you would have, if, if you're an adult watching it, I hope you had music on in the background or something because it was enjoyable to watch. I thought the slime zone was a ton of fun. The animations on all the replays were a ton of fun. And the best part, the the chef's kiss, the cherry on top, the Nickelodeon MVP award going to Mitch Trubisky. Because you damn well know the adults got a hold of that vote. And the, yeah. another thing too is I they I they were doing like the announcement the announcers were doing a lot of explaining of the game. I think a lot of kids that were watching that game already knew a lot about football. I mean that's how popular a sport football is. Like I would have known all those rules and plays and stuff like that back then. A flag is when you do something wrong. Oh, and young Sheldon explaining the rules. It the whole thing it was awesome you don't have to like young sheldon just seeing that little face pop up above like where the where like the little animation is for flag seeing his little <laughs> dumb face pop up it was it was entertainment <laughs> i mean i have nothing else to say whoever signed off on that shout out to you shout out to nickelodeon and the nfl for just acing that whole thing it sucks the game was boring as all get out but I enjoyed every second of it. I thought it was a ton of fun. And we recorded uh, during that game. I missed a lot of the first half, but still, it was a ton of fun to watch. Quick question. Do you happen to know if it was Nate Burleson who was on commentary for that game? Yes, he was. It was. I thought so. Nate Burleson is a very good broadcaster. It was Nate. Out of being an NFL player, he has sparked one of several players that have sparked good careers in the booth. I mean, Tony Romo comes to mind. Right off the bat, he's kind of the, the forefront right now of players, at least this generation, coming out and doing well. But Nate Burleson is fantastic at his job. So uh, congratulations to him. I think that was his first call, but uh, I'm not 100% certain on that. But congratulations to him. It's nice that they went to him for this it, new venture. Yeah, so. it was Nate Burleson, some girl from uh, from the reiteration of all that, and Ian Eagle's son. Oh. Yeah, and he, they sound the exact same. The exact well, so same. does so does Chris and Jack. And I noticed so I noticed that, that I noticed that after the Steelers game too, and I was very confused and wondering how do these just announcers kids have the same exact voice? Yeah, and as far as Nickelodeon MVP goes, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky won, Patrick Mahomes zero zero. I thought that so was so there, funny. There you go, Bears fans. There's something to hang your hat on, at least for your draft Barst capital. Barstool's already selling shirts of it. Of course they are. But my shout-out to end off episode 100 simply goes to our proud leaders at the Hockey Podcast Network. This is our 100th episode. We are truly grateful. We are humbled to have been able to come to you folks 100 times now. Not much hockey to speak of, but we've still been here talking hockey. Uh, this network has done nothing but grow since it launched in September of 2019, which is fantastic, and it's continuing to grow. It, it now offers 41 unique podcasts. So if you're a fan of our podcast, go to the thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Check out some of the other ones. We have, of course, all 31 teams covered. We also have some very specific shows, some boutique shows, as they call them. I mean, House of Hockey Podcast is great. Tales with TR is great. Uh, Life After Hockey Podcast with... Uh, friend of the show brad lieb is great just check out the hockey podcast network they even came out with the basketball podcast network now too so if, if you're a basketball fan go check that out as well uh we've made some great friends and i think that's 
that's the big thing for me for the Hockey Podcast Network. It has been great to come to you folks and have this podcast talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's been great to be promoted alongside my, you know, my buddy from college and Horwat. It's been a fantastic what year and a half at this point and a hundred episodes, but the friends that we've made, even Hockey Troll and Polly Cupcakes, are are two of probably our yeah. best friends on the network. Even though, you know, Penguins and Capitals, that is always there. We made new friends earlier this week over at the Three Pigeons podcast, and really everybody on the network. It's a very tight-knit group if you haven't recognized that. I mean, all you have to do is tune into After Hours or, or last week, the the fantasy draft that Shane put on and, and you were a part of Horwat. So just a, a big thank you to, to Dylan and Isha and also the, the gentlemen at Amaze Media Labs. They are also awesome and, and jumping on. We're, we're very proud to have been part of the original members of the Hockey Podcast Network. So it is something we wear with a badge of honor, and we're, we're very proud to continue uh, to produce content. We hope everybody enjoys the content we have. Horwata, I'll let you respond to that before we, we send the folks home for the week. Yeah, absolutely. It's a ton of fun being a part of this uh, part of this group. It's something that it doesn't feel like work, and isn't that they always say that's kind of what you should be aiming for. This never feels like work. I mean, granted, there are some times where you're – when it comes to the recording process or your editing process, I mean, I thank you for editing a hundred episodes. I have never edited a single episode of this. I remember when we first started, I said, Hey, you know, sometimes you don't want to, or whatever. I'll jump in and do some. You have never asked upon that. So I, you know, I appreciate you for everything you have done for this show as well. I mean, thank you. if it comes down to it, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, you're the captain of this show. If, if you will, you know, it's uh, been a ton of fun doing this with you for, these 100 episodes, the handful we did of a podcast before this, and then the radio show we did before that, we've been through it all. I mean, we've seen a couple playoff collapses. We're going into what, on recording at least, our fourth season? Yeah, fourth I would, imagine season? our fourth season. Yeah, That's a ton of fun. It's a, been a long ride just with you, and getting back to the network, I mean, it doesn't feel like work. I wish a lot of people could see some of the Slack chat messages we have. <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly fun. It doesn't feel like work. We've made a bunch of friends, and I mean, shit. If if the golf outing ever happens, expect a ton of videos from it. Or if the the get together where they all want to play hockey, or the summit—that's the word. The summit. There's all kind of stuff we want to do that just as buddies. We just all want to get together. If we just all want to get together and have a beer with each other, you know. And it's yeah, honestly. I mean. Safely, of course, with COVID yeah. gone. But I mean, you've heard of super spreader events with COVID. That would be a content spreader right there, <laughs> a THPN summit. That is that is a hundred percent the correct verbiage that I yeah. want to use for that. But uh, before we before we say goodbye one last time, I also want to thank everybody that came on the show. Um, Doug, of course, is somebody I've known for a long time. He always is chomping at the bit to get on the show. He loves talking hockey. He, I mean, we all, all the three of us are in a group message mm-hmm. that talk hockey all the time. So thank you to him. Uh, Richard Blosser is probably one of our yeah. most devoted fans, especially on social media. A sh- huge th- shout out to him. Yeah. Uh, Elena, who joined the show, of course, from down in Texas. Everybody else that's joined the show, all of our guests that have been so gracious to give us their time, whether that be Paul Steigerwald from today, anybody from the network that has jumped on the show, um, Steve Mears, Doug Bodger, thank you to everybody. And that is going to be where we wrap up episode 100 of the tip of the iceberg again cannot say it enough thank you thank you thank you let's hope the penguins pick up a win before we come to you on monday they have the flyers on friday the capitals at noon remember noon time on sunday have a good weekend pence fans 
You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.